welcome to Cannabis in Focus, the show that helps you make informed decisions about the use of medical cannabis for yourself and your loved ones. Our goal is to clear up misinformation around cannabis and to restore it to the mainstream, where it has been used as a valuable medicine for thousands of years. We offer a broad perspective based on solid science and clinical expertise, and our guests range from scientists and medical practitioners to producers and patients. I'm your host, Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Joshua Crosney. Josh is the president and founder of J. Canna, Inc., a nonprofit devoted to the advancement of cannabis science, analytical testing, and personalized cannabis medicine. Alarmed by the lack of consistent standards across the country for testing contaminants and potency in medical cannabis, he launched a series of educational conferences and boot camps to share information and improve the quality of cannabis products being used by patients. With a background in analytical science recruiting and event planning, Josh and the events put on by Jay Canna like the Cannabis Science Conference, where I first met him, they have become a major force in helping to bridge the gap between analytical sciences and the medical cannabis industry. I am pleased and honored to have him with us today. Welcome, Josh. Thank you so much, Miriam, and it's great to to join you and your listeners today. Tell me what initially drew you into activism and education on behalf of medical cannabis. So, you know, I've always kind of been really interested in, in obviously, in cannabis as a plant. Um, I am based on the East Coast, although we do the show in Portland, Oregon. Um, when I first started to get involved more with the industry, um, like I said, I was more um, interested as a consumer and someone from that end of the table. And then when I really started to get interested in getting involved with the industry, um, I started going to some industry events. And I just realized, you know, this is going back to about 20, late 2014, that science just wasn't being represented in the way that it should be, given the fact that I think that the science and the research and the information is what is going to advance this industry forward. So I really just kind of saw a corner of the market that was not being served already. And as you mentioned um, in my bio, I you know have a background in analytical staffing and recruiting. So I had some great co- uh, connections and colleagues that were working in you know lab testing of cannabis, extractions of cannabis, and um, also research. So I just kind of like really came in and, and what we did with our group and, and our events uh, was we just wanted to kind of fill the void and bridge the gaps between the cannabis industry and, you know, traditional science and traditional medicine, which in your opening, it sounds like that's exactly what you guys try to do with, with your program. Absolutely. It's funny because I have a background in medical recruiting, so we are kindred spirits for an industry. I mean, I remarked that you have only been doing this for four years, and yet I'll bet it feels like forever to you. I mean, the the industry is moving so quickly, it is unrecognizable from one year to the next. What have been the biggest- Oh, absolutely. (laughs) What have been the biggest changes that you've experienced? So one of the like the best things that I've seen so far, and um, you know that I really like to watch is is 
to see people embrace science more and, you know, when it comes to lab testing, when it comes to these, you know, you know, procedures and getting things done correctly. Um, when I will say that, you know, a lot of times in the beginning, you know, back in 2014 when I was starting our organization and then, you know, cut to when we did our first conference in, you know, October of 2016, um, a lot of people kind of saw the testing and like the standards and all this stuff um, that comes along with quality control and research kind of is just more things to spend money on in a sea of spending money on everything. You know, as you know, if you're a cultivator or, you know, a processor or a distributor, um, you're, you're, you're spending quite a bit of money on a lot of different um, things and services. So I really have seen people take a lot more interest in the quality of the, the medicines and the products that they're giving um, to patients and to consumers and recreational markets. And really just the research. Um, one of the things that we really were passionate about, and, you know, in our first year we set out to do was to kind of share this information and get some of these leading experts together. And that way we really wanted to try to open the doors um, to see more academic research. And, you know, we've seen that over the past um, year or so. We've seen a lot of great programs that are being developed. Um, you know, Northern, Northwestern uh, Michigan University has got a medicinal camp, plant chemistry program that they have. Uh, I know that UCLA is starting to do a lot of stuff and, and look into research. Um, UC Irvine has a great program that they're working on. So, um, you know, in the past, it's been really difficult decision, I would say, for these universities and institutions to want to do these programs because obviously we're talking about a federally Schedule One drug still. So they risk losing their funding and, and, and you know, the money and the dollars that go to their research and the work that they do, um, you know, that's not cannabis that is really important. So I think that we've just started to get to a point to where the more information that's shared, the more medical and scientific professionals are kind of starting to say, hey, I think there is something to this. And, you know, we really want to learn more about it. That's a really good point, because I was just reading, I think, a few weeks ago about a research program into cannabis and pain that had its uh, funding pulled by the government. And so they shut down the program. So this is a real effect and real concern. It's time for the real scientists at the academic institutions to step up and realize that this is a medicine that can change lives. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we're really pleased with, you know, our conferences. Um, you know, obviously, Oregon, Portland, Oregon is our hub and, you know, our home and where we do our flagship events. Um, it's, you know, such a great community um, there in the Portland and the Pacific Northwest area in general um, that we have not, you know, seen the need to move it. It just it feels like a second home to us. But it really is like a hub for a show that really reaches internationally. So, you know, what we're doing and working throughout the year is working to get these delegates and, and high-level attendees from, you know, all over the world. At our, at our last show um, in, in this past August 2017, we had about 2,400, not 2,400, 24 countries represented at the conference conference and about 2,400 attendees. And that was our, you know, second event that we had done. You know, our first one, as I mentioned, was in October of 2016. But we really try to bring together, like, the global key opinion leaders, um, you know, whether it's people like Dr. Deddy Miri from, from the Technion Institute in Israel, who is doing so much with cancer and cannabis research there, um, who will be back as a keynote this year. Uh, we have Dr. Ethan Russo, um, who's a genius researcher, um, who spent some time working with the Epidiolex um, trials with um, GW Pharmaceutical as well some other stuff. Uh, we have great medical keynotes like Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, um, who specializes in treating pediatric patients. 
Uh, we have Tracy Ryan, who's the CEO of Canakids, and Saving Sophie, who does a lot of great advocacy and works in a lot of great research and has a great product line in California. Um, I'm really excited this year that we're going to have Fran Drescher as our kind of celebrity keynote plenary speaker. Um, <laughs> as you remember, I'm sure last year we had Montel Williams and everyone really enjoyed hearing from him. But, um, you know, it's been really great um, connecting with Fran, um, Ms. Drescher over the past couple years, actually through one of our other um, keynote session speakers, Dr. Uma Donabalin who um, has been speaking with us since, you know, our first event. He's a dear friend. I connected with um, Fran through her a couple years ago, and I've had the pleasure of going to some of Fran's event for her um, nonprofit, Cancer Schmancer. Um, they do an annual um, Cancer Schmancer Health Summit where they have a lot of different information and resources and speakers that talk about alternative treatments and, you know, what else is out there. And it's been great over the past couple of years to really see Fran incorporate more and more cannabis education into the platform as an option um, for her um, audience and for her, you know, organization's events. So I really felt that it was a great opportunity to kind of bring Fran in um, to what we're doing and what we bring to Oregon to really introduce her to the cannabis science community um, because, you know, I always think it's great to get, you know, these, these kind of, you know, influencers and celebrity voices and, you know, these people involved because each person amplifies our voice louder, um, you know, and we're all kind of fighting for the same thing. Absolutely. Now, the cannabis industry still has a lot of people in it who made the transition from the gray economy to the white economy, or maybe the government would still call it gray. Do you see the transition as being clean, or are there still the sort of um, hippie remnants that need to be worked out of the system? So... You know, I think there's a couple points to that. I think that, um, you know, whenever I'm speaking internationally, I always bring up the point that when it's really hard to, to talk about generalizations in the American cannabis industry because we do have different things going on in each state. So it's not like, you know, the same thing that's happening in Maryland is happening in California. It's kind of like we're in these separate little countries, um, you know, with, when, it, when it comes to our drug laws. So I think that um, I, obviously there's been a good mix of, you know, um, like you said, gray market or, you know, whatever people coming into the industry. For instance, you know, example of like places like in Maryland or Pennsylvania, um, you know, if you're looking for cultivators to work at your, your, um, your grow facility and you're not looking to, to bring people from all the way across the country and relocate people and put them up in new housing, um, you know, then where else are you going to find people that have experience growing cannabis? You know what I mean? So I think sometimes you see um, that kind of comes up. I think one of the things I've seen that um, they're doing in some areas of California is like social equity programs. And I think that's great because I think um, one thing that we you know, can never forget is that really this was a war on drugs and um, it affected, you know, certain communities larger than others. Um, and I think that it's great to, you know, kind of open the programs up to people that might have had, you know, issues where they were, um, you know, maybe selling a little bit of cannabis or doing cannabis related things like that. So I think it's really interesting. And I think that kind of, just like I said, ties back to each kind of state is kind of set in their own um, way of doing things. And it's, it can be challenging at times to keep your, your finger on exactly, you know, what are all the regulations that are happening in this state, that state, that state, because it's just, it's, it's so many different markets. Here in Oregon, we've seen over the past year, aside from the disorganization, um, we've seen a lot of companies actually 
go under and there's already this kind of consolidation and you get the feeling that the bigger corporations, particularly from Canada and, and big money and even um, big tobacco are starting to come into the industry. Do you think this is a good thing or what would be the red flags that you would wave? So for me, and, you know, I try to be um, as, like, neutral and not, you know, take sides in these things as much as possible, especially um, when talking with a state that I don't actually live in. But I will say that not just Oregon but some other states, I've seen it to be a little troubling to me um, when the recreational market ends up kind of absolving or making it really difficult to operate in the medical market and more expensive and costly. And I think that's what you were speaking to a little bit about uh, businesses shutting down and you know, like I mentioned, we've been doing our event in, in Portland since um, October of 2016. It's when we launched our, our first event. So we've kind of been, you know, part of the Oregon community since these conversations have been happening with, the, um, you know, the separation. And I think in all these markets, it's, the conversation always starts out the same, um, that, you know, no, the, the recreational market is not going to affect or take away the medical market. But I think, you know, a lot of time and time again, we see that in different states when this happens, um, it is what happens. And I think that, you know, there's a few different points to look at with that. I think that, um, you know, obviously right now, this is not something that, you know, insurance companies are covering your medication for, but, you know, in some markets we have had it to where, um, people have argued and, 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 and now the insurance companies are at least covering the visit to see mm -hmm. the medical cannabis professional doctor. So I think that, you know, that's a small step. And like I said, that's in, you know, a couple markets. But I think that, you know, I always point back to how this all got started. And, you know, I, I always think of Dennis Perone, um, who in the 90s with the HIV and AIDS epidemic really is what moved this um, industry forward in, you know, 96 with um, Prop 215. And I just, I just caution, you know, regulators and, and people to like not forget about the patients. And even though this is a product that is safe enough to use recreationally, um, you know, I think it's safer than using alcohol. I absolutely think it's safer than using um, illicit drugs or pharmaceuticals that you might not be prescribed. Um, but it is also a medicine for a lot of people. And I think that we cannot take that aspect away from this plant. I think one of the biggest watersheds in terms of changing public opinion was Sanjay Gupta's TV special about little Charlotte and her epilepsy. Sure. Um, you have a particular interest in pediatric patients. Uh, what are the considerations for them that are different for uh, other uh, cannabis patients? So, yeah, I'm very passionate about, you know, the pediatric population. Um, I sit on the advisory board of CannaKids. That's with Tracy Bryan, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, I connected with Tracy before our first show, um, and I just I, – she, she reached out to me and sent me an email, and I was looking into her story. Um, she has a daughter named Sophie Ryan who was diagnosed with an optic pathway glioma brain tumor when she was eight and a half months old. And this was, you know, uh, Tracy and her husband's first child. So, you know, as you can imagine, and I'm sure your listeners can imagine, having your first child and, you know, have a beautiful life, good good careers, and then you get this kind of just dropped into your lap. And, um, you know, at the time, Tracy was a very um, successful person working in advertisement for, you know, major, major companies and doing ad designs. Um, and this was kind of like a bombshell. And their kind of whole life got uprooted, and Tracy really wanted to 
find out other options because they, you know, they, they kept saying, you know, aggressive chemotherapy and right away. And that's all, you know, we can suggest right now, but, you know, as most parents would, Tracy was like, there's gotta be more for, you know, my little, my little child. And, um, you know, it's like what most of us would do. She went to the internet and started searching there. Um, and you know, cannabis kept coming up at first and at first Tracy, and her husband were kind of like, you know, maybe these people that are suggesting that an eight month old use cannabis are doing too much cannabis themselves because, <laughs> you know, at the time they didn't understand the process that, you know, kids are not smoking it, you know, obviously. And, you know, it's more of like a, you know, edible tincture medicine that, that children and, you know, a lot of elderly population is, is using. Um, so kind of like it was crazy because Tracy got connected with um, Ricky Lake um, and Abby Epstein from film and television and they just so happened to have just started um, filming of a documentary called Weed the People um, that is all about pediatric cancer patients using cannabis as an option. And it's a great film. I got to see it at the Nashville Film Festival. It did a screening a few weeks ago. And I know that they're in talks with the major distribution of this film coming up, uh, I believe, in the fall, so after the summer. So, you know, it's, it's very... Um, near and dear to my heart because again you know i connected with tracy very early on in my path in this industry and that obviously sparked a lot of passion in me getting to know a lot of the other children that we work with um you know we work we're very close with and some of our speakers and the people that we work with you know the children's conditions range from you know cancer like tracy to autism epilepsy mitochondrial disorder you know the, the whole gamut and um the thing that strikes a chord with me and I saw a little bit of this in the beginning of my transition into the industry was that there's still a lot of stigma associated with children using cannabis even if they're sick so I had some you know some people that were interested in the show in the beginning that were from the you know hardcore science industry and they just weren't sure how they felt about you know people that you know work with giving children cannabis and for me I had a couple of those conversations early on and I knew that that was one of my callings was to help people deal with that and change the perception that people have with pediatric patients using cannabis um, because, you know, it's, it's not controversial to pump these children full of all the other, you know, medications and, and treatments that, we're, that we are. Um, so, you know, I feel that these, these patients and, these, and their parents have the right to true, choose natural alternatives. So we really fight for that. You know, um, it, it's difficult. You know, I will say that in California, the regulations are all changing with legalization uh, when it comes to marketing. So, you know, it, it can be challenging uh, when you have a product that markets, you know, to treating children uh, when it comes to the, you know, way, the way you do your marketing and things like that. But I, I just think that, you know, the, like it's very little amount of money in, in our country that goes to fund pediatric um, research for cancer patients and other disorders. And I think that that's sad and, and, and it, it worries me because I feel like we're getting cancer and these diseases are, are more prevalent now than they ever have been when you look back in history. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, our, our environment. And, you know, going back to um, Fran Drescher, one of the things that she always says is, you know, Prevention and early detection is her biggest platform of cancer because she was misdiagnosed um, mm -hmm. for quite some time. And she always says that it's, it's, it's what we put on our bodies, in our bodies, and around our bodies. And it's true. You know, with, like, the foods that we're eating, the, you know, the beauty products, the shampoos, the conditioners, the soaps, these all have, you know, chemicals and different things in them. So it's very, you know, I always caution people to, you know, know what you're using, and especially, you know, it can be hard with, 
with trying to eat right um, because of the you know country that we live in. Obviously, everything is supersized me and deep fried and fast food on every corner. Um, but it really it really does pay off to try to live a healthy life because um, we're just seeing diseases. It's just so uh, prevalent at this point. But but yeah, I, I just think that um, you know I think that there should be no reason why we would ma- make a difference between an adult cancer patient and a pediatric cancer patient and what they're able to use or are utilized as a medicine. Well, actually, natural medicine. Actually, for a politician, it's particularly difficult to ignore a sick child. I know a number of the speakers at your conferences, these uh, mama bear moms, uh, have, mm-hmm. together with their absolutely amazing kids, have actually uh, forced changes in their state legislature. Oh, absolutely. Well, like, yeah, we have um, Riley um, and Janie Maidler um, that are coming from Delaware, and they'll both be giving back-to-back talks. And, you know, this little girl has done so much, and she's went before, you know, the, all the government in, in, in Delaware. Her and her mom have worked to change the laws there when it comes to dosing on school property. They've been involved with, you know, getting additional conditions added to the program for children. So they're very, very passionate uh, about that. And like you said, it's hard for these politicians to turn down um, you know, a sick child when they're coming face to face, you know, to see you and, and then level with you. Um, and I always think it's cute seeing Riley at the, you know, the Senate hearings and she's like at this, you know, podium and she barely like, no, her nose barely like comes to it. But she's a very powerful little girl and she's got a lot to say and, and they tend to listen to her. But, um, you know, that being said, we also work with a lot of great dads like um, Sebastian Cott, um, who you might have heard his name before. He's associated with the lawsuit that's against Jeff Sessions um, that involves Marvin Washington and also Alexis Bortel um, and Jose Bellin, um, the veteran. So, um, you know, he's great. I always say, you know, we got to make sure we don't forget about the dads in these situations because they're, you know, on this journey too. And it's just, I think in our industry, we see a lot of the moms that come out and do the public speaking. So we really love to also invite the dads and give them a platform to come and share their perspectives as well. Yay for the dads. What conditions do you think are going to be the biggest uh, game changer in terms of uh, cannabis use and public opinion? So I really truly um, believe that cancer, there's so much potential with cancer. Um, But one of the things that I also believe in is, you know, we've got to narrow these things down to a specific medication. And, you know, cannabis comes in so many different forms. Um, You know, there's so many different kinds of cannabis at this point. Um, And, you know, I think that different conditions obviously work different with um, different strains of cannabis. So I think that, you know, I see the future of cannabis instead of, when you're talking about a medical market at least, instead of using kind of the names that can tend to be like a little silly and, you know, you know, we all know the strain names. We don't have to go list them now. But I see it being more about the cannabinoid profile and really trying to target those and treat something based on that cannabinoid profile. And that's what you're looking for, not really a strain name. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much research happening in Israel, um, like with Dr. Daddy Neary. I will tell you that um, Canakids, uh, Tracy, we worked with um, Cure Pharmaceutical and Canakids, and we raised millions of dollars to fund the next three years of research um, that Dr. Deddy is doing at the Technion. We've shared all of our patient data with him um, from the patients that we've been treating. So it really, um, that is that is one of the things I'm most passionate about. But I'm also very cautious um, 
to never use words like cure or heal because I do, like I said, work with very scientific community. And I also think that we need to be able to like really back these claims up before we say them. And I think that we get more respect from, you know, maybe the people that are against us when we don't say those claims. So you'll never hear me saying, you know, that I think that cannabis cures cancer. I will say that I think there's huge potential for us to research this more and find out more and more about it associated with cancer and other conditions. One of the really frustrating things about the government's scheduling of cannabis is that it has prevented the kind of research that would have been able to answer uh, these questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I cannot stress enough how important right now, um, if you have something going on here um, that's worthwhile, you get connected with uh, international partner. You know what I mean? Like these cross-border relationships, like I just described with um, Israel, can be so valuable. And you share in that research and that data. You know, there's going to be a lot coming out of, of Canada. I just, I just spoke at a... Um, a cannabis conference back in April that was held in Bogota, Colombia. I think Colombia is going to be a huge, great market for research. I'm already seeing a lot of, you know, collaborations and partnerships going together with that. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, one of our other key speakers this year that we've worked with in the past is Dr. Sue Sisley. And she's, you know, one of the only people to have a Schedule One research license to study cannabis and the problem with that is she's not studying what you find at the dispensary she's forced to work with what is being grown with the um, NIDA standards from the University of Mississippi which really are just very archaic you know I always kind of jokingly say when people talk about the, the the cannabis that's out now and they say oh this isn't your parents cannabis or your parents mm -hmm. weed I'm like well the standards that they seem to be using at NIDA is still your parents' weed, like kind of what they were smoking in the 60s right. and 70s. And it's just evolved so much. And it's really hard um, to try to do research to, you know, study the effects of one thing when you're forced to use something that's completely different. Now, your conference actually kind of has two main uh, streams. You have your scientific analytic stream and you have your more clinical health stream. Um, sure. I, I was... Uh, thinking about Fran's comment on being cognizant of what you put in on or around your body, the same can be yeah. said about cannabis. It's uh, really important to know where your cannabis comes from and what's in it. Absolutely. The profile that you mentioned, the cannabinoid profile, I remember hearing a talk by Ethan Russo where he thought that the terpene profile was as important as the cannabinoid profile. And so having sure. research into the, the full spectrum and having the ability to know what's in the product that you're taking is absolutely critical. Have you seen the science moving as rapidly as the, uh, the clinical side? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the science industry has just taken onto this and are so involved and are so excited about being a part of this industry. And I think, you know, um, a lot of them, obviously, it's, you know, they're making sales. They're, they're, they're getting business, um, the companies that are scientific, whether it be instrument manufacturers, sample prep providers, um, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's, it's really great having their support, um, you know, and a lot of these vendors 
um, and companies also have, you know, huge government contracts as well. So, you know, obviously um, they must feel strongly about this industry. And, you know, some of the groups that we talk about, they say that, you know, if cannabis isn't already become one of their, fa- their biggest markets, it's like growing faster than any other market. Um, so, you know, like what you were just saying, that is why I'm so passionate about um, testing for quality control. You know, you'll find a, you know, a good portion of um, the analytical science track at our show centers around, you know, uh, testing for quality control and analytical method updates and, and things like that. And you hear from people that are working on, um, you know, standard methods for cannabis testing. And then I'm really excited this year. Um, so from last year, this year, we're adding a third track that will focus on cultivation science. Mm-hmm. And that is being curated by a great couple that I'm close with, um, Dr. Jacqueline Green and Dr. Roger Kern. And they both formerly were with NASA's um, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they've retired over the past few years. But what they did um, with NASA, with JPL, was they um, worked on research to develop growing agriculture on Mars. So a lot of really great stuff that they have known and work on. And we're also, um, in addition with those two, we have uh, Autumn Carsey, who's the CEO of Cultivo Inc. Um, she does custom um, indoor sustainable cultivation facility design from design to build out to operation. Um, and she takes a very, you know, quality control standard uh, approach to what she does. Um, and she's really one of the best at what she does. So it's kind of great to have. Uh, those three, you know, great individuals that can help kind of put that great content together. And we're going to be putting that out that by the end of this week um, with all the details of the talks and everything in that track. So we're excited to add a third uh, track to what we've been doing. Well, I feel very lucky to live in Portland, and I'm looking forward to the conference. Um, what are the dates of the conference this year? So the conference is at the Oregon Convention Center, and it is August 28th and 29th. Um, Our pre-conference Canna Boot Camp is on August 27th, but that is already sold out. That's a really popular event. This is the third year we've done that. Uh, We partner with Chalice Farms, and we do uh, the boot camp at one of their facilities, and it's like a hands-on full-day workshop that covers many aspects of the industry, from cultivation to sample prep to analytical testing, um, to microwave extractions and extractions and, you know, processing, uh, and so forth. Um, that is, like I said, we do that at Child's Farm. So that event caps out at about a hundred, but, uh, it does sell out every year. So just kind of a word of advice for any of your listeners that would be interested in that next year, definitely book early because they do go quick. <laughs> do you do boot camps any other place on maybe on the East coast? So we actually have been looking uh, at the possibility of launching um, a whole other show with the pre-conference boot camp on the East Coast for maybe the spring of 2018. So we'll definitely be talking about maybe those details a little bit more soon. So what website would people go to to keep tabs on this, Josh? Yeah, so um, the listeners can check out CannabisScienceConference.com. And on there, we have a lot of great information about some of the speakers that are, you know, highlighted keynote speakers. We have our agenda for the show. Uh, we have all of our current sponsors, exhibitors, and media partners listed. Um, and we also have a contact form there where you can, you know, reach out to us and also sign up for our uh, newsletters that are usually uh, weekly. You are so busy, actually, <laughs> p- pushing the industry forward. Um, do you do any kind of lobbying on behalf of legalization? 
So, you know, I have gotten involved a little bit with, um, with some lobbying and, and some pushing in, in that sense. Um, I will say I, I do work a lot on the back end with a lot of regulators um, and different people um, in different markets, um, both in the states and in other countries. Uh, we, we've been lucky enough to have, you know, great individuals like we had from Health Canada last year. We had the top five people that were working on all the testing regulations and, and things for that um, that came to our show and our boot camp. So it was really great to meet with them and have some time to chat. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think that it's, it's, that's what it's all about. You know, we have to rally together and, and get out there and push this forward, um, you know, as much as we can, really. Mm-hmm. There was a big uh, victory recently where the farm bill actually attached a rider allowing the cultivation of hemp. I think that there's a huge need for um, hemp CBD and for hemp products. And I really think that, you know, utilizing hemp more, we can really get back to using some more hemp-based products and less of the wood and paper and, and things that we've been, you know, wasting over the past, you know, few decades. Um, so that's kind of my two cents on that, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's, it's what we talk about a lot is the entourage effect, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, and again, you know, I think that different conditions call for different um, ratios. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and I think we also like, I, I'm seeing more and more that people are starting to look at more cannabinoids other than just THC and CBD. Like, you know, you're starting to see more um, listings on, on the actual lab results when it's in the store, because it's not just about the THC and the CBD. Those two have just kind of become buzzwords um, when it comes to kind of the industry and media, but there's, you know, many other cannabinoids that are also, you know, hugely beneficial. Um, you know, I, I know I saw some studies um, some mouse studies where they were using THV, THCV isolate right. and that was shown really great promise to be like a weight um, suppressant, you know, like an appetite suppressant um, rather than what, you know, you traditionally would think of with cannabis where it can be mostly an appetite increaser <laughs> for a lot of people. Right. <laughs> Uh, that's a good point because there are over 200 cannabinoids and, and we've only Absolutely. not even scratched the surface. I was interviewing a doctor from the University of Halifax, a researcher, and he has found um, some components, some cannabinoids actually causing regeneration of nerve cells. I mean, we're just be- at the very beginning of the potential of this amazing plant. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think we have so far to go. Um, And sometimes it can feel like it takes forever, but really just taking a step back and looking at, you know, what was happening in in relation to science and and to lab testing and, you know, extraction methods. I just feel like over the few years that I've been in this industry, it really has evolved so much. And I just, I can't wait to see what, you know, the next few years will bring in the way of, you know, research and data and information. Absolutely. Well, we could talk all day, but you have things to do, and I'm really cognizant of that. So I want to free you up to get back to your wonderful work. Josh, is there any other website that you would suggest people look at besides the Cannabis Conference site? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's been great joining you today, and if the listeners wanted to check us out on some other platforms, um, our nonprofit's website is jcanna.com. Um, again, the conference website is just CannabisScienceConference.com. You can find us on all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, CannabisScienceConference.com, and jcanna. Excellent. Well, 
we have been speaking to Joshua Crosney, the president and founder of JCANA and the guiding spirit behind the Cannabis Science Conference. Thank you so much for being with us, Josh. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing you uh, in Portland. You bet. And thank you for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time. I'm Miriam Knight. Goodbye. Goodbye.